Hey, it's Nick Walters again with the National Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast uh, for another terrific episode to learn about more things going on in the hemp industry, uh, particularly around industrial hemp. And we enjoy our periodic updates uh, with the guys from the Bradley Cannabis Law Group at the Bradley Law Firm. Uh, Whit Steinecker and Hunter Robinson are with us uh, yet again, and we're always looking at things that are involving the uh, hemp business, but sometimes we get to talk about things that are just regular old good business practices as it relates, happens to relate to hemp as well. So uh, uh, this go round, uh, uh, we're going to kick around and talk a little bit about uh, employment law and, and what does that mean for you as a processor, for you as maybe just a grower, right? I mean, there could be any myriad of things that you need to be aware of if you are employing humans to help you do your work um, and whatever that looks like. So um, um, does that sound like a right way for us to kick that off? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I can start. And Hunter, I know is going to is going to want to chip in and then uh, he's going to talk about another aspect of employment law. But Nick, as always, jump in with any questions. You come at this from a a different perspective than we do uh, is more of the operations side. And you've seen this um, in your various life experiences. And it feels like employment law is one of those things that everybody can sort of understand a little bit. Um, it's a lot of the type of law that you see on TV. Um, you know, anybody who's worked in a, in a workplace has uh, at least a superficial understanding of how these laws work. Uh, and our goal here today is to give you maybe a little bit more detail, uh, just enough to make you realize when something's gotten to the point where maybe it needs to be escalated to a professional or you need to realize that you're treading in, in an area where you need to be maybe even more thoughtful or careful than usual. And so I'll talk a little bit more about the uh, general best practices when it comes to employment uh, law and Hunter can then talk about some things that maybe are a little more specific to the hemp industry and the cannabis industry generally. But Nick, jump in here. Um, I'm serious about that because I think, sure. you know, some of this will, will, and Hunter, obviously you do too, some of this will probably trigger thoughts that you guys have. So <clears throat> I think the first thing to do is to understand what some of the baseline rules are in your state, in your jurisdiction. Um, and some of that also involves you know, making sure that you understand how you, the terms of your employees' uh, employment. It, do, are, is, are you in a union state? Are you, you know, do you have a collective bargaining agreement? Do your employees have contracts uh, or are they at will? Because most of what we're going to talk about today <clears throat> involves at will employment, which I think is probably the majority of the, the, the folks that are going to be listening to this. I think that's probably what they're dealing with. But in the event that they have employees with collective bargaining agreements uh, or some other type of contract, then it's extremely important to understand the specific terms of those agreements because they will, absent some uh, overriding policy consideration that courts have recognized, they will be uh, that, that that will govern the terms of the relationship. So if there's a written document, it's imperative that you understand what you're entering into, both on the employee and employer side, and equally important that you follow it. The contract's no good if you just shove it in a drawer 
and then pull it out and realize after the fact that you neither side or one side wasn't paying any attention to its terms. So that, that's really step one. And part of that, part and parcel, is just understanding some of the basic rules in your state about at-will employment. And as a general rule, you can, you can as a general rule, you can fire uh, or discipline an employee for any reason or no reason, as long as it's not an illegal reason. And so it's important to understand the types of things that might constitute an illegal reason. Um, if it was, uh, for example, on, on a discriminatory uh, basis, if it was you know, on the basis of race, um, if you treat uh, a white employee and an African-American employee differently because of their race, well, then that is an illegal reason. Uh, it's also possible that you could treat a white employee and an African-American employee different for a valid reason. And so it's important to understand why you're taking the actions that you're taking. And maybe just as importantly, particularly in the employment context, to make sure that you're documenting what you're doing and why you're doing it and doing that contemporaneously, doing it in real time uh, as you take these actions. Because invariably, these employment cases are often end up like, um, in some ways, like a divorce case. They're, they tend to be very emotional, very personal, a lot of back and forth, you know, he said, she said, uh, or, you know, whatever the, the expression is uh, nowadays. Um, but, you know, it's very much, uh, you know, relying on, you know, what people think that somebody said or how it made somebody feel at the time. And to some extent, you can't avoid that. But one thing you can do is you can make a record in real time about the conversations that you're having. You know, if you write somebody up for a, a violation of, of rules, uh, you literally write them up. You you have a record. You, you give them a copy of it. You keep a copy for your own records, because one of the first things that a lawyer is going to ask in the event that you end up in a lawsuit is, well, do you have any? You know, give me all the documents that you have that would be relevant to this dispute. And it very well may be the case that you had a very good basis for taking some type of employment action, be it discipline or termination, uh, against an employee. But if you don't have the, the, the receipts, then it's difficult. Uh, it can be difficult to establish that when the employee may have a totally different view of what happened. And maybe they're lying or maybe they just understand the world differently than you do. Whatever it is, when you find yourself in court, it ends up being you're just telling two different stories. But when you have the documents, you know when they, when when you hand them a a, a, a a discipline report that you had them sign that that says I understand you know that I've been tardy you know more than three times in the last ninety days. I understand that if it happens again, I'm subject to termination. Uh, and and then they sign it and they date it, and then two days later they show up late. That is a much better explanation for why they were treated the way they were treated when, you know, perhaps somebody else wasn't because invariably, you know, everybody gets caught up in, can I get sued for this or can I get sued for that? And the reality is you can get sued for almost anything. Now, can, can you lose, you know, can somebody win? Those are different questions and they're a little bit harder, but rather than go through the cost and the expense and the, the time and mental suck that it takes to be involved in litigation, you can typically end that process much sooner the more you're able to document the steps you took, 
why you took those steps. And that is an extension of that will almost certainly allow you to explain why, even though it may appear that you treated two people differently for one reason, it was actually because of this reason. Because you're always going to say it was this reason. They're always going to say it wasn't. But if you have the receipts, um, then the evidence tends to be on your side. Is an email good enough to send back uh, just to say, hey, dear Whit, I'm going over again what we talked about today in our meeting. As you well know from previous la la la, tarting this is not acceptable here because it messes up our assembly line and yeah, 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 yeah. And we told you all this and you again were 23 minutes late today. I'm confirming that with you sincerely, the owner. I mean, is sure. that? Yeah, I mean, that look, do or has it got to be some notarized thing or some is just it's basically a really good CYA file for you to be able to say, I've told her 16 times not to come in late. And so she did it again. And number 17 was it or whatever. That's right. And um, there's no magic words. Typically, um, you know, typically you're just looking for things that you can use as evidence when someone says, you fired me because I was blank. And whatever blank is, if you have contemporaneous evidence that shows, no, it was because of, you know, insert valid reason, you know, tardiness, you know, fighting on the job repeatedly, those types of things, then it just makes it a lot more easier for you to establish in court to a judge or a jury why it is, or even to, you know, a mediator or an arbitrator, anybody who asked that, in fact, it was this. And that is is, is not really a, it, it, maybe it can be sort of effective, but it's not very effective if you try to recreate that. After the fact, go back and say, you know, I told you a bunch of different times and here are all the different times I wrote you up. I mean, that can be a useful exercise as you think about how you're going to mount your defense. But it's really having those contemporaneous instances that go a long way towards uh, establishing your case. And as part and parcel of that, it's important that you act consistently uh, with your employees, you, whatever, um, you know, so if you have written policies and we think you should, and, and, and you absolutely should um, have policies and procedures that your employees should receive, you know, when they begin employment, they should uh, sign them to acknowledge their receipt of them. And then you should insist that they follow them. Um, you should be clear that it's important that they follow them. Uh, if they don't, that's when you should uh, document uh, any sort of de uh, deviations uh, from the, the policies and procedures. And you should make sure that you're treating all the employees equally, because that's another way that this ends up happening is you, uh, um, you know, you have, if you show any favoritism, that then becomes, well, he, he you know, so-and-so did it too, and they never got written up. And that just begins to sort of, one, that foments a, a general culture of people you know, not believing that the rules apply to everyone, which eventually leads to an erosion of all sorts of things, including morale. Um, but it also uh, plants the seeds down the road for there to be some type of uh, employment-related lawsuit. Um, and some of this, you know, it may sound obvious, but what we typically see is this sense that like everybody knows so-and-so was a bad employee. You know, so-and-so needed to go. But if nobody ever took the time to write it down, or, or if you have uh, employee reviews, for example, and uh, you or your supervisors just pass someone along and they just give them milling but okay reviews, and they don't want to take the time to write out a 
uh, a long review about why somebody's not very good or they don't have the nerve to confront them at a uh, at a job review or anything like that. that. Those are all very human desires. And I don't ever like to do that either, candidly. But what happens is that builds up over you know the time, maybe it's months, maybe it's years. Then you're just sick and tired of it. You want to release the person. You probably have every reason to validly release them. But if they see you, they look at their files and their files all say, and, and you say, this person's been terrible for years. And they say, well, let me see my, my reviews. And they're all fine. And they're no different from people you didn't fire. It doesn't mean you're, you're not, you didn't have a, a good reason to fire them. It doesn't mean you're going to lose a lawsuit. Um, that's a perfectly valid reason to let somebody go. But it just becomes harder again to establish a case. It just protracts the process. It makes it raises that possibility that, you know, maybe the maybe the plaintiff, the former employee, maybe they that maybe they do have a valid claim. You know, maybe you're just trying to sort of retrospectively CYA um, as opposed to what you could have done in real time. Um, you know, two last little things. Um, one, if you if you if you're going to take some employment action with someone who you believe may be problematic down the road, sometimes it's worth considering uh, asking them to sign a release. And if you get a signed release and it's valid, then you've essentially immunized yourself from being sued by them if it's properly drafted. The, the couple, of, couple of tricks to that, uh, if you, you almost certainly have to pay them. You have to give them something in exchange for signing the release. There's gotta be a, you know, for any contract to be valid, the law, the law calls it there has to be consideration on both sides, but some, both sides have to give something up. Um, I'll give you $5,000 or a month salary or six month salary, whatever it is, you'll agree, you know, not to sue me. And you may also agree not to go work somebody to, for a competitor for, you know, a certain period of time. You can negotiate those types of things, but if you get that release, you can buy some certainty uh, going forward, uh, in, in, which may be particularly important if you're about to do fundraising. Um, you know, you want to raise some money for your venture and, and you don't want to get caught up in a um, some some sort of employment-related related lawsuit, whether you think it's frivolous or not. Uh, having one of those in place, you know, could go a long way. Uh, so let, let, me, let me jump in yeah. and ask you. So a release is kind of like saying, look, we both know this thing is not going to work out. Okay, this is just you, you, your square peg, we're round hole, whatever it is, the, the culture thing of the way we do things, your whatever the credit is, um, doesn't play nice with others, all the other little boxes you check from, you know, whatever, right? Then it might just be, but you brought some value to some things to the table. We get that. We understand that you really did help figure out that algorithm that helped do the thing, okay, whatever. And so, <clears throat> but going forward, here's kind of the way we, we 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 both mutually agree that we need to move on, and and that's kind yeah. of the, that's more of what you're saying is a release as compared yep. to, or we can do it the hard way where I got to go in and document every damn thing, but sooner or later I'm going to you're going to be gone. That's right. Um, in, in what we often encourage or we see people typically want to do this anyway, and I think it's a good way to go about it is. You approach it in a little bit of a positive way. Listen, this isn't going to work out. It doesn't. I think you probably understand that as well. Um, you've been an important part of the team. Uh, we don't want to leave you. You know, we don't want to try to cut you off. You know, we want to give you a couple of months worth of salary. 
uh, to get on your, you know, to make sure you land on your feet, you have a chance to look for a, a new opportunity. Uh, and then, you know, we'd like you to sign this. And I'll have a couple of different provisions, but one of them will be that if they agree to that, then they, they won't turn around and sue you. And, uh, you know, that's a typically, that, that you can do it really heavy handedly and they can be really disproportionately unfair, but uh, more often than not, you know, that's, that's what people are interested in. And if they don't sign it, then that's a really good indicator that uh, you might have a real problem and that you want to go ahead and start maybe consulting an attorney on that for that purpose. They, the, the attorney ought to help draft it because there's a bunch of specifics to go along with it. And if they won't sign it, then the attorney needs to know that too, because you're essentially offering them free money with the only catch being don't sue me. And if somebody turns down free money uh, in that circumstance, then they probably want to sue you. And so knowing that in advance uh, or as early as you can can go a long way. And those things can be negotiated. Somebody can say, yeah, no way. I'm not going to go away for five grand, but, you know, maybe for 10, you know, those are the types of things that you can figure out. And look, we have to remind people of this all the time. You don't have to give them a dollar. Uh, If they, if they, if you get a resign release from them and then they turn around and sue you for a reason that they said they wouldn't, then you can file a motion to dismiss and just slap that in front of the court. And as long as it was properly drafted and executed, you should be fine. That case should be dismissed. And it's an annoyance and it's going to take a little bit of lawyer's fees, but ultimately it's pretty small potatoes. If you don't have it, then it's probably going to proceed. You're going to have to sort of establish the things that we've been talking about. And that just tends to take a little bit more time. It has to go a little bit further down the process. And, um, if so, if you can knock it out for something that would essentially be less than or equal to what you would spend on a lawyer. Um, and so if you're under $10,000, you're probably best, better off to go ahead and wrap somebody up. But a lot of times people say, I'm not going to pay that person a dollar. They were horrible. I had every reason to fire them. And we say, that's fine. And just understand if they sue you, no matter how right you are, it just might cost a little bit more money, but that's fine. I mean, you know, you can cross that bridge when you get there. Um, and, and it's, the final point, and then I'll turn it over to Hunter. I, the this is one aspect of where this is one aspect of the business where hiring a lawyer falls into that ounce of prevention, pound of cure situation, because a lot you can get a lot of front end advising from a labor and employment lawyer it, it pretty quickly and without spending a lot of money. And these things can get very expensive, not done properly. So just having a, a quick call, having somebody that you can bounce things off of, typically you can get, you know, having somebody you can draft a provision, you can put into your standard employment agreement, all those types of things tend to be, tend to pay for themselves uh, over time. So I would strongly encourage anybody to do that. The, the hemp industry is certainly no different. But those are the types of things that, that I would consider sort of employee best practices. There's a thousand things that can come up in the course of an employee-employer uh, relationship. Uh, we're obviously happy to answer those. Uh, but, you know, any employment lawyer can typically advise on that. But, Hunter, um, unless you've got anything else to add for me, why don't you take it away uh, with your part? Sure. So one thing I will add on uh, Nick's example of kind of sending an email rather than doing a written form that everybody signs um, if you do that, you may want to say something, you know, so you, your example was, you know, hey, we had this meeting, we talked about how you didn't do X, Y, and Z, you know, that's going to be an issue. 
Um, you may want to sign off that email with something along the lines of if you, you know, if you disagree with this summary, something like that, please respond to me in writing. Um, that's not going to make it where like that's an enforceable contract and they can't see you if not. But, you know, if they come up and say, well, look, I talked to my shift, shift, shift supervisor and told him that I thought your email was bull. Um, you know, maybe you have something that says, you know, you didn't tell me in writing, you know, I make the hiring decisions. X, Y, Z. Um, you can use that on a lot of things where you want to make sure that there's a record of anybody's response. Um, maybe it's a dispute with a business partner, dispute with a counterparty. Um, yeah, that's something to give you a little bit of extra protection in a lawsuit. Um, but for my part, uh, so I'm going to talk about sort of a different angle of employment law, which is how the employees of other companies, uh, how employment law with respect to them could interact with uh, your products and present some liability. Um, and so this is something that is, is generally more relevant for the, the CBD and, and supplement producers. But there have been um, a good number of lawsuits over the year, over the last couple of years, with people fail ingesting a CBD product, failing a drug test, losing their job, and then suing the CBD manufacturer for um, all sorts of different claims that all kind of center on kind of false advertising or, or mislabeling the product. And the way and not just in the Olympics, right? Not just in the Olympics. This has been uh, so one the way it's come up for the most part in these lawsuits, although not necessarily has to be limited to this, is truck drivers, pilots, um, a lot of the industries where there are federal regulations about drug testing and because of CBDs. Um, sort of uh, gray area under federal law. There's been some, you know, Department of Transportation and those sorts of uh, agencies have issued notices that say, yes, CBD products are, or, you know, hemp with less than 0.3% THC is legal, um, but you cannot have THC in your system under our regulations. If you take CBD products and test positive for marijuana, as how it would probably pop up on a drug test, the fact that you just got it from CBD is no defense. We're not going to play that game. And so the way these have happened is generally it is somebody taking some sort of CBD isolate or, you know, a whole hemp extract that has had the CBD or the THC removed, basically some sort of product that purports to be THC free. And, uh, you know, you see a good number of those, pro you know, products like that advertised, you know, some, some supplement manufacturers want to, you know, harp that it has as much THC as legally allowed. But some people say, Hey, this thing's THC free. You know, if you got any qualms about that, this is the product for you. Um, and in many cases, the, the intent behind the product may should may be that it is THC free. Um, but, you know, it doesn't. Drug tests vary in sensitivity, but there are some drug tests, especially for somebody like a pilot that can pick up extremely trace amounts of THC and make you test positive. So then they, that person will lose their job and sue and say that the product was mislabeled. I would have never taken this product if I would have known that it had even trace amounts of THC in it, you caused me to lose my job. I'm suing you for lost wages. I'm suing you for emotional distress. Um, and there is some, some of these have been queued up as, as putative class actions. I don't think that has had much success. Uh, but when you get a putative class action filed against you, the, the, the process for making it, uh, for showing that it shouldn't be certified as a class action is extremely expensive. Um, you know, so there's a lot of downside risk here. And the fact that these cases are rare is, is the wrong word, but, you know, somewhat, you know, they have some, a little bit of shock value. There's a lot of news stories about them. So the reputational damage could be the harm here um, 
perhaps more than anything. And so I think the main takeaway here is if you are, if you want a product to be THC free, and if you advertise it as such, you better be damn sure it is actually THC free. Uh, if you have any doubt that there are trace amounts, um, do not put that label on the bottle. Uh, the second one is, you know, if your product does contain THC and you want it to contain THC, so a whole hemp extract that has, you know, 0.28, whatever, um, you may want to consider putting in a warning on the back of the label that says something along the lines of this product can't make you fail a drug test. We've had, we've seen, and we have some clients products that, that contain that warning. I think it is, it may be required under some state's laws, although probably not many, but it may be a little bit of a CYA. You know, when somebody says your product was mislabeled and you can point to something on the label that says, no, I, I literally told you this, um, that can generally be a pretty solid defense. So it is just something to look out, look out for, you know, for a, a smaller supplement manufacturer or processor, you know, getting one lawsuit like this could be bet the company litigation, you know, for half a million, million dollars in damages, you're going to have to pay a bunch of money to, to get a lawyer to beat it. Even if you think you have a good defense, um, you know, it comes to what's point of an ounce of prevention, you know, just slapping a, an extra label on there or extra disclaimer on your product's label can, can potentially, potentially save you uh, some heartache down the road. So that is the other side of uh, employment law, not your your employment law, but how others employment law can end up affecting you as a manufacturer. You know, what would be interesting for us to do maybe in a, in a, uh, <clears throat> a future episode is for us to talk about those things, particularly along the, maybe the fiber side. I mean, I guess some of these same things could happen in the grain side as well, too. Right. To somebody saying it's got some health benefit and eat this and you're going to have these omega threes are going to be in your system and you'll be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound or whatever. It could be some of the same thing, even though it's not CBD related, obviously it's kind of the, the, that health related piece, but I'd be really interested. Maybe we could kick around the idea along the supply chain to say, you know, if we're a, if we are a, a, a value added processor of hemp fiber to company X and then company X is then taking that fiber and doing something else to it along the along the uh, the process one way or the other that would be interesting to know about that from the from the um liability side and you know some of it as well on kind of on the hiring side i mean you know when you're trying to find the right people that you're gonna you're gonna hire what are some what are maybe four or five things that you always want to be able to know that you can ask that are legitimate questions i think a lot of people are probably concerned to know well, I don't know if I can even ask that anymore. I mean, or to say, you know, hey, look, we are uh, a particular faith group here. And every Friday we, you know, wear, you know, pink fuzzy hats. And that's what we do. And that's important to us. And so we're all going to quit every Friday at 11 o'clock and we're all going to go. Everybody's shutting down. And so if you're an hourly employee, you need to know. You're welcome to come wear the pink fuzzy hat with us, but you're not getting paid for five hours because we're all going to be doing our thing, whatever, you know, and I know obviously I'm being facetious and we would know about things that are, you know, obvious around race and religion and things like that, that would be just totally, you know, don't be that stupid. Surely somebody's not that stupid, um, but well, I guess there are people that are that stupid, but 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 even if they're not that stupid, <laughs> I mean, how do you think me and White have a job? <laughs> uh, <that's exactly laughs> but for ignorance, you'd be uh, uh, out there uh, huffing it somewhere, uh, uh, doing Amazon delivery. Um, yeah. I, I, so 
I don't know, just maybe it's a future way. I think that'd be kind of an interesting thing. And particularly if you had kind of a hemp overlay to that, maybe for, as, as there are people who are getting, because this industry allows people to get into the marketplace that maybe have not been in the marketplace before to hiring folks and, you know, um, uh, some of those best practices might be really cool to think about. Yeah, that's something we can certainly talk about. I mean, from the labeling point, you know, everything I said about making sure your label's right, I mean, that applies to everything on your label. So that could go to, you know, hemp furniture manufacturing and I have to worry about the medical claims, really. But, you know, if you say this is all sourced from X or this is all organic, why? I mean, if any of that's false, you know, some people may have trouble, you know, showing damages from those sorts of things. But, you know, that's what class actions are for. A bunch of people have can say they have fifty dollars worth of damages. You put enough of them together, you got a lot of liability. Right, right. Outstanding. Well, guys, thank you so much for once again giving us some great info. Um, um, we always uh, know that you can go back to uh, Bradley.com and check out the Cannabis Law Group. You can find Wit and and Hunter there uh, if you've got questions about some of the things that they were talking about today. I know they'd be glad to be able to reach. Uh, back out to you and be able to communicate some of those thoughts and ideas. Um, keep in mind uh, that we have our field day taking place April 20th and 21st. Yes, we know that is 420. Okay, April um, uh, 20th and 21st in Mount Bio, Mississippi. So Mount Bio is, is uh, in the Mississippi Delta, right north of Cleveland, Mississippi, one of the two places that has a Grammy Museum in the United States, one in Los Angeles, another one in Cleveland. Uh, Mount Bio is a historically um, African-American community that's got a really great history to it. And we are partnering with Alcorn State University's Extension Service to do a field day on Wednesday the 20th, where we're going to come out and, and do some regenerative ag practices for planting hemp. Um, then that night, we're headed back for... Um, uh, a little meal, and then the next day, kind of do a uh, a status of the hemp industry. You'll be gone by lunch. It's a grand total of twenty five bucks to attend. So we've tried to keep the price low, and and hope that you'll come out and learn a little bit more about actually growing hemp, particularly those of you who might be in the southeastern United States, to be able to have a field day to come out and learn even more about that. So you can go back to our website at nationalhempcoop.us. Look for the big purple banner, which is the colors of. Alcorn State. You'll see it very plainly. Click on there and register up for April 20th and 21st uh, to spend some time in the Mississippi Delta and join us. Hunter and Witt, guys, have a great uh, uh, rest of your uh, uh, time lawyering today in the next couple of days. And uh, we always appreciate and value uh, the counsel that you give us here on the podcast. Thanks, Nick. See you next month. Okay. Till next time. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.